Okay, Larie is going to come and share the message this morning. You know, most of you know Larie. She's one of our group leaders. She works part-time in the office. She's been involved with the missions, and usually about once a month, um, she comes and shares a message with us. So welcome, Larie. <laughs> Thank you. A bit much of a welcome. I'm always here, so they've probably already said hello to me and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, um, this is really bright up here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, on on my, I shared on Monday too, and we were having some difficulty with sound, and so I had to stand over here, and there was no lights. So you know, there's this is better. At least I won't have to read like this. Um, just as a review, I just wanted to remind you that um, Lynn gave us four R's when she talked to us about um, chapter one. She talked about receiving, revealing, resisting, and being ready. And uh, we were to receive God's word. We were to reveal. And um, in my notes, I, I had written, peel away the old you and reveal Christ in you. And then resist, we were to stand firm, not listen to the enemy. And then to be ready, and I loved her phrase, perhaps today, Lord, perhaps you're coming today. Wouldn't that be glorious? Well, in chapter 2, Lynn gave us three W's. They were witnessing, welcome, and walk. We were to live out our faith, to be a witness. We were to welcome and to receive the gospel. And we were to walk, in other words, be occupied with Christ pleasing God and investing in others. So following suit, I'm going to give you three L's. They are longing, loving, and living. Longing, um, I get from 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 3, when he says, finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. He said when he couldn't stand it any longer, he was longing to see the people in Thessalonica. Thessalonia. No, Thessalonica. <laughs> he also repeats the fact that he sent Timothy in verse 5. And he states that he could not stand being away any longer. The words that he uses are like those of a bereaved person, someone who has um, lost someone to death. Paul has stated in other letters that he would risk his own life to be among his spiritual children. That's the longing that he felt. How often have you heard a survivor of you know, someone who has lost someone say, if only I had one more moment with my loved one. That's the, the way that Paul was longing to see the Thessalonians. In chapter 2, um, I just noted that we saw his devotion compared to the father, or a father's love. And of course, it made me think of our Heavenly Father and his love for us. He longs to have a relationship with us, to love us as a father, to encourage and strengthen us so that we also can withstand the trials of our lives. Galatians 4.4 says, When the set time had fully come, God sent his Son to redeem us and to give us the right to be called his children. 
Well, Paul truly had God's heart for his children. And so because he could not go, he sent Timothy, who is the spiritual, in a spiritual sense was his son. So who was Timothy? I know you had a, a, an optional to kind of search out who he was, but this is what I saw. We read that he was a helper, one who had been taught and established in the faith. Timothy was one of Paul's special agents. He was used to troubleshoot wherever there were problems in the church. Timothy had also been sent to Corinth and Philippi for this very purpose. Paul had led Timothy to faith, and he knew for a fact that he was a true brother in Christ. He also was a minister, and the Greek word used here is servant. He was not afraid to work. He had faithfully served with Paul, and he knew how to minister in the churches and to the people. And, you know, this requires love and patience, and Timothy had both of these qualities. Paul also called him a fellow worker. He cooperated with God, and he worked in and through Timothy to accomplish his work. He was also a fellow worker with other believers. He went where he was sent, and he followed through. Paul wrote in Philippians 2:20 20 through 22, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. That's a high reputation, isn't it? You see, Timothy longed for the same thing that Paul did, that the new believers would not lose heart when they hear, heard of Paul's distress, that they would go through their own trials and they would not be tempted to fall away. Paul did not want to think that his work in Thessalonica had been in vain, and he longed to hear that the church was standing firm in their faith. Timothy, being of like mind, longed to be a comfort to the church. He eagerly went to help, encourage, and to strengthen the church. It made me think of that God had sent his Holy Spirit to be our comfort and our strength. He is our helper. Galatians 4, 6 tells us that because we are his children, he sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. And then John 14, 16, and again in 26, says Jesus tells us that God will give us an advocate to help us and to be with us forever, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name and will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Well, Timothy was sent by Paul to bring into remembrance all that Paul had taught them, to remind them that they were told of the trials to come, but that through Christ and his spirit abiding in them, they could stand firm. We can be an encouragement to others in the same way, can't we? We can remind our family and our friends and our circle of influence that Jesus said, in him you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul could take comfort in knowing that Jesus had overcome the world, but we see in verse 8 of our text that he longed to see that the church had also overcome their distress by standing firm in their faith. So I wanted to ask you, is there anyone that you have longed to see come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? 
How can we be like Paul, sharing the gospel, being an example, and praying? How can we be like Timothy, encouraging, strengthening, and reminding those who are even weak in their faith to trust in God? How can we be a comfort? And I remembered reading in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. How often do you come through a trial and you think, ah, the Lord taught me so much, and then maybe the next week or the next month, someone that you know has going through the same thing, and you can comfort them in that very same way that Jesus comforted you. Well, that's about longing, longing to comfort, longing to encourage, longing to pray, longing to see your friends, your family, your coworkers, those that you have an influence over, longing to see them come to a saving faith in Christ. So let's go on to loving. In chapter 1, we saw three characteristics of a life changed by Jesus Christ. In verse 3, it says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, faith, hope, and love, we hear about all the time, but the greatest of these is love. Paul hears back from Timothy and is greatly encouraged by their strong faith. He's also told that the church returns the same love that he's feeling and longing for. He is told that they long to see him. Paul demonstrate his, demonstrates his love in that he prays for the believers day and night. When God brings someone to mind, do you stop and lift them up in prayer? He prays for them in earnest, seriously, and with fervor. I love it when I can pray with someone right on the spot, when I know someone needs prayer and I stop right then and do it. And I feel incredibly loved when someone does the same for me. I can forget to pray if I just say, oh, I'll pray for that for you. But if I stop, I not only have that experience of praying with them at the moment, but I just kind of have a visual. It reminds me to continue to pray, maybe day and night. It's reassuring to know that I've really been prayed for, especially when I'm asked about it later. Michelle asked me this morning about uh, a prayer that I asked about yesterday, and that really encouraged me. Thank you, Michelle. Prayer is a labor of love. It causes your heart to connect with another, to connect with God on behalf of that person, and it seems like God just pours out his love for that person right into your heart. Ever pray for your enemies? We're told to. <laughs> In Matthew 5:44, it says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, we can't like everyone, but there are times when I, I know I'm supposed to love everyone, but I really have a hard time loving them. That's when I need to pray to God that I can see that person through God's eyes and come to love them like Jesus loves them. And then I can start praying for them. And it is the most amazing thing to me 
that God allows and pours out his love for them into me, someone I never thought I could love. And I find I am praying for them. I'm truly encouraged to pray for them out of that love. When we love others the way we should, we can't help but want God's best for them, even when they're our enemy. Envy and jealousy just melt away. Just last Sunday, a friend told me that the older she gets, and I really kind of think that she meant the more spiritually mature she gets, the more she can rejoice for others. Women that she used to be jealous of or even intimidated by, she finds herself loving on them, complimenting them, and rejoicing in their triumphs. She says she's even befriending them. That's God's love at work. When we are operating in love, we automatically speak the truth in love. And I've also found that I'm often silent in love. Pastor Michael spoke about things that we think and how grateful we are when others don't know what we're thinking. <laughs> Unless we make the mistake of opening our mouth and then you know, making a fool of ourselves, or worse yet, revealing a lack of love. And I do that often. I need to be silent in love sometimes. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Paul asks that the Lord make their love increase and overflow. I immediately thought of a waterfall. The last time my husband and I went to Hawaii, we took this the, a day trip and the road to Hana. I don't know if you've ever, guys have ever done that. We didn't really know what to expect. We had just heard, oh, you need to go to the road to Hana. So we got in the car and we started going. We probably made about 30 stops because every time we saw a waterfall, it was like, oh, we need to see the waterfall. We'd get out and we'd climb up. Well, some of them were like just tiny little trickles of water and they had maybe some gorgeous ferns peacefully growing alongside. Others were cascading falls, splashing us with refreshing mists. They were all beautiful, but oh my, when we got to Hana, there are seven pools, and they cascade into one another. They waterfall into one another until they go all the way out to the ocean. Um, they're increasing and overflowing, and it was as if the water had a life of its own when we were there, just like God's love. He pours his love into us, sometimes maybe just a trickle with quiet beauty and refreshing, and sometimes it crashes in on us and it fills us with love that overflows to all around. Listen to what 1 John 4, 7, and 19 says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. We love because he first loved us. How do you experience his love? Is it your joy and delight to feel God's love? Does it refresh your souls when you know such an amazing and powerful God is pouring his love into you? Does it sometimes crash into your heart, leaving you absolutely breathless? Pour out that love on others. And oh, not just to our fellow believers. Paul says to love each other, but he also says for everyone. Do we love others enough to ask God to make a way to share the gospel? Do we speak when God prompts us to share our testimony? I want to 
overflow with the love of God that he has poured in me through Jesus Christ, his son. I want the living, loving water of the Holy Spirit to be refreshing and to allow others to know Jesus. Which leaves us living our last L. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 May God strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Your heart is the center of your being, as is spoken of here. It's the base of your faith. We can know about Jesus in our head, but it has to get into our heart. We say we need to ask Jesus into our heart, but we need to do it daily. Just like eating daily, we need the bread of life. Jesus and his word, we need to feed our soul. His word strengthens our faith. We also need the living water in the person of the Holy Spirit to sustain us. We need to exercise our faith in serving God, standing firm when we face trials, and we need to continue to run a good race. It is, a God, it is God who strengthens our heart as we seek him, and it is only in Christ Jesus that we can become blameless. Blameless here means innocent of wrongdoing, above reproach, pure, perfect. Anybody here claim to be blameless? <laughs> Not me. But God sees us through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Through that blood, we are justified, or just as if I'd never sinned. Holy what does that mean? It means dedicated to God, set apart for his purposes, to be righteous, sinless, and pure. Once again, it is God who sets us apart, but we can daily dedicate our life. We can de dedicate each day that we live to him, and in Christ we find our righteousness. Romans 3.22 says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Romans 4, 5 says, to the one who trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's amazing to become the righteousness of God. Ephesians 4.22 and 24 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self and to put on that new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is how we are to live now and when our Lord Jesus comes. Let's practice the presence of God now doing all in his name and for his glory, calling upon God's spirit so that we can live a life worthy of him. I shared with my group last week that um, I have a little phrase written in my Bible that I don't remember what pastor it was that, that gave me this, but it says, my lifestyle should tell the world just how much I value the precious blood of Jesus. Does it? If I have learned anything in this study, this 
three weeks that we've been in uh, First Thessalonians, is that I have to have a higher view of God. And my life must reflect that view now. And when Christ returns, what a glorious day that will be. If we are here, will we be ready? In Luke 12, 37, it says, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. You know, when I have neighbors or friends coming over, I keep going to the door to see if they're there. You know, is that how we anticipate the Lord coming? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, is he your life? I have to ask myself that all the time. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Are you living for him? Is he your life? Are you waiting for his return, being ready and watching? We should be longing for Christ's return and to see others come to know him. We should be loving with God's love, ever-increasing and overflowing to others as he pours out his love on us. And we should be living a life worthy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this study. Just, I mean, we, we go through a, a, a study like this, and there's 20 questions each week, and we dutifully answer them. But, Father, you just continue to pour out your, our, your understanding upon us, your, your love on us. Um, you know, we're relatively new groups. The love that you give each one of us for each other is just amazing, the way the groups bond together. I just thank you so much that we can see these words that we're studying in action, in our group, in our church, wherever we go, Father, if we are praying that our love would overflow and increase, Father, you are so faithful and so amazing to make it work and to bring it into the light so that we can see it. We thank you. We thank you for the righteousness that you bestow upon us. And Father, we long to see your face. Father, help us to be the kind of women that you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.